0: podcast presented by the seattle times your host is seattle mariners beat writer ryan divish this semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the mariners major league baseball food and whatever else ryan and his guests decide to talk about and now here's your host ryan Divish. all right
1: welcome to this week's extra innings podcast ryan divish here uh coming to you not live but recorded from haver montana where it is about Almost midnight. Uh, just kind of gotten off the Zoom line with Larry Stone a couple hours ago. It takes a little while for those all the download from those long interviews. But uh, what I wanted to do is do a podcast basically reacting to what we heard today, the first day of the Mariners virtual baseball bash. Now, if you don't know what that is, I know I wrote a story about it, but basically, the Mariners every year have a uh, spring training luncheon where they have DePoto, Service, Andy McKay, some players, a bunch of people come up and talk on the dais. And, you know, it's just like a, a car wash of, of uh, people that you interview. And then there's actually kind of side interviews after the, the media, after the interviews on, the, on the, the podium or whatever. And so obviously you can't do that with COVID. And so what they decided to do, instead of, like, having a whole day of Zoom meetings, which, you know, would just be the seventh circle of hell, they've only made it the third circle of hell by, um... Doing two weeks worth of media, spreading it out over two weeks. So today was the first day, and they started with their general counsel, Fred Rivera, who talked about some of their programs and social justice issues, and and obviously that's that's important stuff. But for baseball fans and for journalism pers- purposes, the most important interview that they have of all the people that they're going to interview is Jerry Depoto. Well, that's unless John Stanton um, were to take questions um, the chairman of the Mariners, basically the owner of the Mariners. He's not doing that. I asked for a a private interview. I haven't been granted that yet. I'm still hoping to get it. But anyway, so Jerry Depoto went today and took questions from the media and even a couple of questions from fans through social media. Um, and so I wanted to kind of just react to what he said. Uh, Larry and I have a discussion about that. And so, you know, because basically what he came out and said is, is like, yeah they they want to compete this year for a postseason spot they think they could compete for a postseason spot but you know they're still trying to figure out this where some of these players are and gain experience which is not exactly the ideal timeline for this step back rebuild that they talked about obviously pandemic and a lost season in the minor leagues is an issue and made things more difficult but You know, as you'll hear from our conversation, there are ways I think that they could offset that by being a little bit more active in free agency, especially if they think that they want to contend or if they want to teach some of these young kids about playing in true contention games. I don't necessarily count last year, the last 15 games or whatever, that they were sort of in contention to count the way it would be for a true 162-game season and getting to September and, and playing that final month in contention so uh, Larry and I talk about what Jerry DePoto said and then afterwards after our conversation you will actually hear the full audio of DePoto's um, media session via Zoom so um, I guess if you really wanted to do it you could fast forward to the the DePoto part um, and then then go back and listen to Larry's nice commentary. But if you've read our stuff, or we pray pretty much talk about what he says and, and what was said and give you the gist of it. But if you really want to hear the exact words, you'll have to wait till after we get done yapping for about an hour. So let's just get to it because it's a pretty long podcast. <laughs> All right, here we go. The X Greetings Podcast is back. Larry Stone is in his office. I am in my mom's office. That's why I also have the turned down because there's a hideous picture of me as like a second grader in a sweater vest and a tie with a really feathered haircut that I don't want anybody to see, so um, I am... Put the mood lighting on, the spotlight on my unshaven face. Oh, just adjust that a little bit. Well, where the, like, where are the glasses
2: you were wearing <clears throat> in the press? You know, I've never I, seen you with glasses. I don't think
1: so. I had to get them this year. <laughs> I've <Yeah>. kind of <laughs> sort of noticed that uh, it's getting a little harder to read at night, and uh, uh, they're readers and they're blue, and I I get some headaches. I get like tired eyes. Like I'm on my screen a lot, so they're blue light blocking. And I don't know. I've read whether or not blue light wins r- works or not, but I got some a couple different, um, blue light block, blue light blocking, um, readers, and then just another pair of blue light glasses. So I kind of alternate, but yeah, I, I had tired eyes today and I had to wear those stupid glasses and I felt super self-conscious and I, and eventually I think I took them off, didn't I?
2: I I don't remember, but yeah, yeah.
1: it's not, it's not a good feeling to admit that I'm getting up in your area of age. So
2: (laughs) yeah, but the, Just take some solace in the fact that whenever you get to my age, I'll be well beyond that. So
1: yeah, whatever age I'm
2: at now, when you get there, I'll be like at the next level of old.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's true. So um, I guess the, the, the pressing news of the day, and then what reason why Larry and I are doing this is that uh, the Mariners, because they can't have their, their normal spring training luncheon, um, they're doing a virtual baseball bash, and of like different zoom interviews and then also fan interaction stuff for like the next two weeks which sounds really cool but then to try and monitor all the stuff is a little bit daunting but um, wisely they put the, probably the most important speaker and the, often the most quoted speaker of every uh luncheon jerry depoto first today and so what i wanted to do is get our reaction i will also post the audio of jerry talking to the media today as well it was about what 40 minutes because they, 50. they ran a it was speaker, 50 50 they ran a speaker yeah. out there before uh and so i
2: and, taped the i taped it in addition to the uh, the otter that i knew was coming and uh-huh. my tape recorder said 50 minutes when i shut it off and i didn't start until fred rivera was done so
1: yeah and, i mean jerry can go for 50 minutes and really we could have went for more but you know, they didn't really want to. And I, I mean, like some of the questions are gotten a little redundant from the last time we talked to him. So um, first of all, are any impressions? I mean, the Mariners, it was very slick. I, uh, Alden Gonzalez of ESPN was on the, the, the Zoom call and he said, man, this is like a whole production when they do this. Most of the time it's just like, hey, we're on a Zoom call, but this was a, a full production that they had, videos and everything.
2: Yeah, uh, it was. And, you know, kudos to them for, for pulling this off. You've got to be creative in in these situations. But uh, as far as impressions, um, you know, I think we both kind of wrote about it in our, in our respective stories, but one was kind of tempering their expectations a little from earlier when they said that, you know, they were hoping to contend this year to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can get the back end of contention or set us, you know, it was more like setting themselves up for, for next year. And the other thing was uh, the, the quote that really struck me from DePoto was we're going to be patient with our roster and we're playing the long, we're playing the long game with our roster. We're not going to rush people. The, long, the the phrase, the long game really struck me. And, you know, I wrote my column about I true, truly believe that they're they're very well situated right now. You just look at Baseball America, you know, the three and number three and the number four prospect in all of baseball are on the Mariners. Uh, you know, they've got a bunch of pitchers ready to break break out. they got Kyle Lewis. You know, they they, they have the pieces there to, to really make a breakthrough, but that doesn't mean the paradox is that it's not going to probably happen this year. And so, you know, fans who are already fed up beyond belief are – kind of going to be asked to be patient for one more year and that's not going to sit well there's you know they need to make the last year really cost them in the fact that there was no player development that that really set the the whole timetable for the for the step back essentially back a year because none of those young players got to move through the system and get a year of development so you know they're practically starting over with with guys like kirby and uh Williamson and, and, and Hancock and those guys, instead of getting all of last year or part of last year for the draftees, uh, they, they lost it all. And even for the more advanced guys like Kelnick and Julio and Gilbert, and, you know, Jerry said that those guys could still make up for it much faster than the other guys because they were elite prospects, but they still at a vital age didn't really do much of anything. So, uh, you know, they could bridge that gap of the year that they lost by going aggressively into the free agent market. But they have chosen not to do that. And, you know, I'm sure that's something you have thoughts on as well.
1: Well, we, you know, what's weird is you were on the zoom call with Scott service. I think it was the last zoom call of the season. Um, and he talked about that based on how they play, and you've written about this, that based on how they played, they had expectations, Uh, to be competitive. And they mentioned that, you know, Scott mentioned this and Jerry mentioned it a few days later in his postseason, his end of the season, season Zoom, that they were going to supplement this roster and the core group of people that they had on that roster from last year. And they were going to supplement it to the point where they felt like they should be competitive for a playoff spot. You know, compete. They said compete for a playoff spot. They never yeah. made the goal. They've always been smart and so we're never saying the goal was the playoffs, but to compete yeah. for one. And maybe they were <laughs> using the the uh, model of the expanded playoffs, which they, could still happen this year. That you know, it happened midseason yeah. last year. Um, but I noticed, like, um, a week when we talked to Scott Service for what would have been the winter meetings deal, he wasn't quite as you know. Um, he wasn't quite as direct in saying they were going to compete for a spot. He said he just wanted them to get better. And then when I heard Gepardo on the first hot stove show, not the hot stone show, the hot stove show, he talked about, yeah, he he talked about getting better and and just like the idea of improving and not really throwing that postseason thing out there. I wonder, Larry, I mean, do you think that they tempered those expectations because they haven't supplemented the roster as much as they thought? Or is it because they, they think that maybe the postseason isn't going to be as expanded? Or where, where do you think led them down that path?
2: I think it was probably the fact that they kind of took a realistic look at their roster and uh, they see the same holes that we, have, that we see and, and the same potential problem areas. And they haven't aggressively – I mean, he has propped up the bullpen uh, you know, there, there's been two signings and a re-signing of Graveman, but um, you know, is that enough to make you feel that much better about their bullpen? Their, their rotation has a has a guy uh, who they signed from Korea who has who flamed out in the major leagues in his last time he tried, and then went to Korea and, and put up great numbers in the, in you know a league that you can judge for yourself how much that means and he's flexing is that what it is chris flexing yeah flexing yeah flexing flexing
1: i'm wearing my rock shirt so you know i was like
2: uh, so he'll i mean jerry said today flat out he's gonna be in the rotation so uh you know the rotation gets really thin really fast so uh i don't know exactly why Uh, maybe it's better to temper expectations and overachieve than to raise them too high and underachieve. Uh, you know, I've, I've said this just about every podcast, but it doesn't take much to contend for a playoff spot nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the Astros got in at under 500. Um, if you're at 500, you're going to contend. So that's a pretty modest goal to be around 500. So, um, You know, it's pretty easy to say. It's pretty easy to say that we hope to contend, because that doesn't mean you. You know, doesn't mean you're going to win 95 games. It means maybe you'll win 81.
1: It's it's a very nebulous goal in the sense that what is your definition of contend? Are they in it the last Mm -hmm. week, the last two weeks? I mean, technically, they were in it till the last week this year in this this messed up year. I almost said the the F word there, but um, Mm -hmm.
3: yeah, and, and
1: I I think yes, they assessed it because, like, I think both you and I believe that as they are currently constructed now, I don't even know that they're a, a team that can contend for the playoffs because they're one injury to the rotation away from having LJ Newsome as, a, as an, one of their regular starters, basically. And yeah. I don't know how they're going to necessarily score runs. You know, you're, you're you're banking on Mitch Hanager being productive and healthy, and he hasn't played in a year and a half. Um and you're, you're expecting Kyle Seager to be – or Kyle Lewis to be the guy who was for the first month of the season last year, not the last month. You're expecting Evan White to make a huge jump forward, J.P. Crawford. You know, I mean, a lot of times last year, if Kyle Seager or or Kyle Lewis didn't drive in the runs, they didn't score. And granted, you're going to get Tom Murphy back. And, and I, I, again, they, they don't know who's going to play left field. I mean, you're talking about Dylan Moore at at second base. I I just – I mean, I look at this roster, even with the three additions to the bullpen, which the bullpen is better, but let's – you know, we can go over that. I I still don't see even 85 wins on this team. I I just can't count it out. And that's with knowing that – and you wrote this, that the – and I wrote this, that the American League West has regressed significantly.
2: Yeah.
1: um, And will continue to regress. I I just – I don't know. I, I mean, I think. Well, I, I mentioned it on the podcast, and I wrote it in a mailbag. That you know, I've talked to some some industry sources that have said that 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 Depoto wanted to spend a little more aggressively this off season and, and take advantage of this market, and Mariners ownership wanted to wait and see because. Really, they—I mean—we didn't learn a lot from sixty games last year. You don't have an idea of where mm-hmm. Kelnick and Rod, Rodriguez and Gilbert, some of these prospects are, and they wanted to take a more, I guess, pragmatic view to this season and and not spend a whole bunch of money on it. Um, but I still yeah. think like you could have invested wisely and in more than you have, and, and and helped this process. I mean, like so much has to go right. For this to work next year. Like you're talking about, he's like, he, it was crazy. He said, like, every position we have a guy that we think is the future spot there. Well, I don't think Mitch Hanager is a future spot there. I don't think Carl Seeger is a future spot there. But these yeah. other guys, I mean, like, and you're talking about Kelnick and Rodriguez is yeah. probably a year and a half, two years away. And Kirby's at least a year to two years away. And Hancock's two years away. I mean, like, what are you going to do in that time?
2: Well, here's one thing the free agent. Period is not over yet, mm. and there. I think I heard there's more unsigned free agents at this stage than, than there's ever been.
1: There's only 25 percent signed. Of
2: the yeah, so there's 75 percent. Spring training is three weeks away, or maybe even less. There's, you know, I don't know if this is an industry-wide strategy or just the economic reality, but there's going to be a lot of scrambling in the final days into spring training, or even after spring training starts. And I think there's going to be a lot of players who you might think we're going to be priced out of their market that might fall into their market. There might be a lot of players taking one year deals, just hoping that the economic climate is better next year. They have a good year. They go back out of the market and get the big money that maybe they were hoping for this year. They get it next year. And that's the kind of guy the Mariners need, because if indeed this, you know, they don't want to uh, plug a spot and take it away from a, from a young player, Um, you know, you get a veteran on a one year deal could, you could
3: uh,
2: fill the gap until Julio's ready and, you know, uh, Cal Raleigh or, or uh, whoever, whoever is, you know, are pitching as well. You know, they, they've got to get another pitching in there. You know, you and I have talked about Taiwan. He's still sitting out there. Will the market for him come back? That would be a great signing for them. So there's still some work that could happen. You know, the roster that they have now is not necessarily the roster they're going to go into on opening day. But that said, you didn't get the impression. I didn't get the impression from Jerry that that they were waiting in the weeds to really attack in the market. It was more like, well, maybe we'll, we still want to, we still want to add depth to the bullpen. You know, that's not going to be a big marquee move. Uh, you know, maybe a left-handed bat, and maybe a, you know we were we willing to look at starting pitching. It was it was very tepid the way he phrased it, for a guy who's as ultra aggressive in the market as he is. So, you know, you wrote that next year's free agent class is much better than this year's. And I mean, if they continue down this path and keep a low payroll, I think what did you say? Seventy million is what they projected for.
1: I think about eighty. Yeah, are about, about seventy less than what they had last or in two thousand eighteen. I mean, they
2: would be poised, and they would almost be be incumbent on them to to go gone Bonzo to go Padres on you know White Sox next year, and just to for the sake of showing fans that they're serious and going hard after and getting one of those marquee guys, whether it's a Corey Seeger or Correa or. Uh, You know, I don't have the list in front of me. I know there's all those shortstops, but um, you got to land a couple of those guys if you if you choose to, you know, to not do it this year. You know, you just have to.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it is weird. So yeah, I I think, and I get where Jerry's coming from that he wants to know if some of these guys fit. And, And and granted, like they're they're cheaper pieces, but I just Dylan Moore is. 30 is, I think, 29 years old, and they're gonna try yeah. and see um, um, that you know, they're gonna try and see if he's any good. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I and like, I mean, I guess you know, Tom Murphy is who he is. I mean, we, I think we saw the ultimate aspect of who yeah. Tom Murphy um, um, could be, and then you're like, I mean, what else we got? <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. like with JP Crawford, this is a seminal year for him because they got to see if he yeah. can really hit or not, uh, yeah. and they, you know, going forward. But I don't. I'm just kind of curious of how this is like all set up. I, I just feel like you're you're right in the sense like Jerry. Remember Jerry kept saying if if it's possible.
4: Remember, yeah.
1: He kept saying if it's possible. Like. If you have some financial flexibility, then it should be possible. You don't have to say if it's possible, right. especially yeah. given like, I mean, and there may be a bunch of guys holding out for one year deals, but I, I don't think that Taiwan is that guy. It may be is cause he's only 28 years old. But I just feel like you say Kikuchi is probably not going to be around much longer after this yeah. year. And you know, Justin Dunn has shown nothing to sit there and say that he's going to be there every day. Justin Sheffield gave you 10 really good starts. He still has 20 more to give you. Logan yeah. Gilbert, you know, you don't know who he is. And then, as we've talked about, their other top pitching prospects are all going to be starting at high A this year. You know, the advancement to get to the big leagues and still building up arm strength. Yeah. I just think you need some bridge guys. And, and I mean, like, and really, like, even if you so, I, I get like maybe you don't want to bring in a one-year guy as a rental and and take away innings or at bats from somebody you think might be part of it, but I, I guess you can question on who do you think that like if we went around the infield and sit there and said, well, who's got a spot locked up or who you know who do they really think you know I get Evan White and maybe even Tom Murphy, but at second base you're talking about Dylan Moore and Shed Long. Yeah. Okay, shortstop, you got J.P. Crawford. Okay, he's, he's around a little bit longer. Third base, you have Kyle Seeger, who's done after this year. And, yes, you have Ty France, and he's a nice hitter. But, again, like, you're not going to give him that chance this year. You're going to give him the bats, but you don't know if he can handle the position. Left field is supposedly Kellinick's by, I don't know, May, fir- or May 1st or whenever. And then center field is Kyle Lewis. And right field is Mitch Haniger, who is a free agent in two years, and he, as we've talked yeah. about, had health issues. So I, yeah. I, I guess I just don't know what they're going to learn about this team that they couldn't add a few pieces now that would make it yeah. a better talented team to help the guys like Kellnick next year in a full season or if Julio were to come up or even some of these pitchers or some of these guys to help them along with better players. I mean, it does no good. I don't think it does any good for them to send them out and get their ass handed to them every night with a bunch of young guys and go, oh, they're, they're learning yeah. a bunch. Yeah, they're learning how to lose.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just as easy to look at this team and see a 95 loss team as it is to see a team that's going to, you know, contend around 500 and uh, contend for, for, for a playoff spot. And that would be disastrous. What they need is they need a, uh, for Kelnick to come up and show what all the excitement's about. You know, it's one thing to hear about all these guys sort of uh, lurking underneath in the minors and how great they're going to be but you want them to come in and then and, and show that it was all for real and you know that's why it would have been nice just imagine what we what the the plot line would be if last year had been a normal year and Kelnick had earned his way up in August and you know had a couple of good months and he was going into this year set as the left fielder you know Gilbert had come up in June and looked strong in the second half he'd be ensconced in the rotation uh, you know, Julio would have maybe made it up to double A, had a good year, you know, on the verge of, of making into the major leagues, but none of that happened. So, uh, you know, it's all that that's it's it's still all kind of more long term. And no, I, I agree with you that I, I think it would have been a better strategy to to fill up, fill out the team a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, like because it- yeah, in a full year or two, Evan White gets sent down for a little bit, then yeah. comes back up, shed long, same thing. Like, you have a better grasp of who they are. You certainly know more about if that hitting streak from Dylan from Dylan Moore was real. You know, and Murphy probably finds a way back from that fluke injury. Yeah. You, you know, it's, you know, it's yeah. funny, though, like when we were talking at, to them at the end of the season, they tried to downplay how much the 60 games hurt. Oh, we won't really know. We don't really yeah. know, you know. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't know. Right, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's kind of convenient, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, because it's a, like one, it's a
2: convenient cover for. I mean, you, you could view it as a convenient cover for not wanting to spend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, You know, it, you could blame it on the fact that we want to see the kids more on the fact that you know, financially we don't want to we don't want to um, extend our payroll and and, uh,
1: and I get it. Like, yeah, everybody lost money. Teams lost money. I mean, this is what the Mariners are doing is less disgusting than what the Cubs are doing I and mean, what Tom Ricketts yeah. is doing. Yeah. But you know, it, it is, there is, I, mean, I I asked to talk to John Stanton. I mean, it, it, a couple of times it hasn't happened. I'm sure I'll get him. And I, I doubt, you know, I mean, like the, the answer to Poto gave us about the payroll saying that it wasn't economic, but it was part of their plan. But the plan, yeah. you know, has changed a lot. I mean, like, yeah. Two years ago, the plan was to be good right now, and like they yeah. were going to supplement now, and even the plan seemed to be supplementing at the end of last season. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, I just um, I'm a bit confused as to the justification of it all because I just don't know that you can sit there and say, well, this is our plan to see these guys. Well, you know, <laughs> if the plan was to see these guys, then they wouldn't have just bequeathed Dylan Moore this the second base job. And give Shevong yeah. a realistic chance, you know, because he That's was good right. enough to be the everyday guy last year. And now, all of a he's not good enough this year.
2: Yeah, he's sort of like conspicuously absent from, from any discussions. Uh, you know, his name was barely brought up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was only brought up when someone asked about his health. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's gone from a guy that Jerry couldn't stop gushing about in his, you know, his physicality and his live bat and everything to not really being for foremost in their plans at all. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I in think 30 games
1: in 30 yeah. games he played.
2: Yeah. You know? And, and hurt. He played hurt. I mean, you know, that it, you could downplay that, but it was serious enough that he had an operation. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it had some impact on how he played. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy that still intrigues me. I mean, I, his bat in the second half of, 2019 was pretty dynamic, I thought. And I was, you know, I was very interested to see how he was going to do last year. And, you know, he was a letdown. He was a disappointment. He was one of the bigger disappointments of the of the team last year. But yeah, if you're, if you want to look at young guys, you don't just give up on them after, after 30 games. So yeah,
1: Well, because that was the basis for starting him every game was 30 games of success in, at the end of 2018.
2: Yeah. So I just... Right. I mean, um, if he comes to spring training and looks like a new guy and tears it up i mean he'll he'll learn some playing time left you know there's plenty of playing time in left field and who knows you know dylan moore whether he'll show that he's capable of playing every day there might be playing time in second base as well
1: well to me if, if logically they're a better team if dylan moore is the utility guy i mean like he's yeah. You know, he's not particularly – neither shed for that matter, but I, mean, I just think they're a better team if he's playing multiple positions on a daily basis because he is the better yeah. outfielder of those guys. Yeah. You know, I, have, you know I, I, I like Tim Lopes a lot, and I think he can hit a little bit, but I, I don't mind never having to see him play outfield again because it was really <laughs> painful to watch.
2: Well, one thing I've, I've learned over the years is that the more things a team has to have go right for their season to be good – well, you know we're, we'll we'll be in business if Evan White hits, you know, much better, and if Mitch Haniger is healthy and can be the old Mitch Haniger, and if uh, you know Dylan Moore shows he could play every day, you, you keep on adding the ifs, and they're not all going to work out positively. And the more of those you have, the more problematic it becomes. And they have a lot of those. They, the short even uh, Kyle Lewis, who has you know. Yeah. As exciting as his season was last year, there's a lot of questions surrounding him. I mean, he had 150 or below the last several weeks of the season. So, you know, that's another thing where you know we were listing off the guys who a 162 game season would have helped. He's another one. He would have been able to work through that and you know show that he could finish strong and and more closely resemble the player that he was. When he first came up in 2019 and to to start the season last year when he was you know he looked like a a perennial all-star type player and he still has that capability but uh you know if he struggles next year just think how much that will cloud the the,
1: uh,
2: outlook for the future yeah he's he's a big player for them they need him to be a star
1: well, what happens if they do struggle next year? If it's 95 losses and these some of these guys flame out, Kelnick struggles, and you don't know who you're, then do they not spend in 2022 when it's a great free agent class? I mean, per their per uh Darren Gosler's beautiful spreadsheet that he uses to make the payroll projections, they only have like $18 million committed in big league salaries. I mean, that's not counting the arbitration eligible guys yet, obviously, because they don't know the minimums and stuff like that. So you'd add another, I don't know, 15, 20 million, but they only have like, they're probably only projected to be like a $40 million payroll with what they have in the organization. now.
2: So I think, I think a hundred losses or 90 wins. They go out and they have to go out and spend next year. If they, I mean, if they have a, a good year, then you then you go for it to take that final step to to finally contend. If they have a bad year, then you then you go hard to to make them better. I mean, you gotta with that low of a base payroll and uh, and the you know growing frustration of of fans. That I think the sense of urgency. I mean, a lot of people feel it should be there right now. Uh, I understand the justification for not doing it right now, but there's no justification for not doing it next year. It would be the fourth year of the step back. Uh, You know, Jerry promised that this would not be a long-term thing. That was the beauty of his plan was that they had these young major league ready guys to to build around. You know, they, they got a bad break with the pandemic. Um, But, you know, you can't, I don't, I think by next year, you can't play that card anymore. And, you know, I would be absolutely shocked if they didn't, you know, go into the free agent market like they rarely have.
1: Hundred last year, this year, <laughs> DePoto and service back.
2: Uh, that would be a tough call. I, I mean, they're in the final year of
1: contracts. I think both of them are. As yes. far as I know, we don't get the links, but I've had sources tell me that they're on three-year deals with an extension, with a on option for a 4
2: I think that's about the only way that they aren't back is if it just becomes, you know, reminiscent of some of those bad years that we've seen before, hundred losses with just a a lot of, you know, regression by the guys that have been touted and, you know, maybe bad, uh, bad vibes within the team and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think a normal, just a, just a bad year, I think, at this point, they're so much invested into this rebuild, I think you probably Stanton would probably stick with it
1: well it's you know, at some point, like, they just got to quit telling us about how they're rebuilding and, like, yeah. that it's working. I mean, there, there has to be a tipping point where it's, it's not so much about – I mean, they love process. They love to talk about the process, and the process is great. I think the process, in a lot of ways, the decision to make this rebuild, and we've said it before, they have never truly committed to this sort of thing in the past, um, at least since I've been covering the team, um, that th- this was needed. And I think they, for the most part, they've done a lot of things right. I mean, like, you know, we, we've talked about before, the, before the serendipitous nature of the canoe trade alone yeah. has helped to speed this project along a lot faster than possible. Um, but, you know, at some point, like, you know, Scott says, it's a results-based business and yeah. these, you know, it isn't, it, it can't be just like getting better too. is such a, it's such a relative term getting better. Well, you know, hell, I mean, like, getting better at some point has to mean wins and losses on the field, yeah. performance on the field, you know, and it can't be chalked up to lack of experience or learning or development. At some point, the development has to stop and the focus has to change. Will it be next year? I don't know. Um, it should be, but like in a lot of ways, I think part of building it, building a successful team or an organization is, is starting to learn how to win. Like that Royals team that got good, you know, they took a step that one year. It was the year that I think Wedge and those guys got fired. Where they 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 were in it to like the second to the last day of the season. Hosmer, uh, Alcides yeah. Escobar, Mustakas—all those guys—they were in it to like the second or last day of the season because it was in Seattle. And then, um, and and that was what got made Wedge's group look so bad. Is remember they 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 got eliminated like with two or three games left to play. And they were out the next day after they got eliminated from the postseason, doing early work. All the Mariners were like thirty games out, hadn't done early work in months. Yeah. and and that was noticed by uh, Howard Lincoln and those guys, and they they were like, oh, we ain't doing this anymore."
2: Yeah, so. there were there, there was other stuff going on. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> believe me, between yeah. Zarencik and Wedge,
4: and yeah, all that oh yeah, I
1: and mean, they yeah, and so, um, but yeah, I I think you know I think that it would like getting better. Yes. But the concept of winning more often than losing needs to, should have started to take place a little bit more this year, regardless of the pandemic. And I think you've could have accelerated it a little bit with just a little bit of help. Like, I'm not saying you don't you find some first baseman for one year and don't let Evan white play or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm saying like get a left fielder, or a, a, guy that, a left-handed hitting guy that can play some left field, that can help you out, that's probably better than Jose Marmaleos, and play him until Kalanick is ready and still have him for a DH and get another starter to supplement there so you're not relying on a guy that made 30 starts in Korea and had two horrible years with the Mets. I, I just i am baffled by this because, like, Honestly, none of the – like, all the, the pieces that they signed this year, Flexin is a total coin toss on whether he's going to be good or not. I mean, I, I know the metrics say he was great in Korea. I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, my child ain't in Korea, you know. And, um, <laughs> and then Rafael Montero, if you look at it, he's, he had a nice little breakout year this year in a shortened burst, and he was battling elbow issues. But, again, nothing speaks to that it sustains success. And Keenan Milton, who was supremely talented and was looking like a a star closer until Mike Sosha pitched him every day of his life, you know, he still hasn't had sustained success in the big leagues. Like If you look at the Mariners roster, Kendall Graveman, Marco Gonzalez, and Kyle Seager are the only players on that roster with more than one to two years, with more than one and a half years of sustained success at the major league level. Those are the only three. Go down the list because JP hasn't had it. He's had this kind of hat one and a half years. White, Moore, Shedlong, uh, Ty France, hasn't played consistently. You know, Kyle Lewis. I mean, they don't have it. I guess Mitch Haniger, but again, we're talking about the yeah. the factors surrounding that. So I was like, I just don't know that, you know.
2: Well, would you put – I mean, would you even put Kendall Grayson on that list? I mean, because I mean, he's ha- doing a
1: completely different role than he's ever done in his career.
2: Yeah, and he – I mean, he got hurt too. I mean, has he had – that much sustained success in the major leagues?
1: I mean, I'm there was sure. two years with Oakland where he was pretty good, where he made his three yeah. innings. I mean, it was, it was above replacement level by maybe like one more yeah. player, but that's better than what they've had. I mean, I mean well, that's, probably, the, and that's why Zips Zips rates these guys so bad on a lot of levels. Yeah.
2: Well, the, the thing is, when, when everyone was clamoring or a certain group was clamoring for, for this rebuild, for them to tear it down, it was time. And we... Kind of warned everybody that yeah, it sounds good and it's exciting and everyone loves prospects, but there's there's a lot of pain that goes with the rebuild and 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 you you better be ready to lose and be you know not have a winning record for two or three years and that's where we are now. I mean, part of this is it's a rebuild. That's what you get. You you don't. I mean, to turn it into a winning contending team in its third year would be rare, Uh, you know, that, that timetable would be extremely rare and, you know, uh, and when you throw in the the fact that there was no minor leagues last year, you know, it may not be a realistic expectation. And that's, you know, uh, the way a lot of people look at it is it's, it's not the third year, it's the 19th year, you know, (laughs) it's, you know, and that's, you know, I understand that, but, you know, there's different regimes, different, plans different rebuilds and so i mean yeah that's true but it's the third year of this one and you know that's uh so in in some ways i think this is what you set yourself up for as a franchise when you chose to do what you did and you know get rid of the the sure things like cruise and Cano, I mean, Cano was a great trade. It's the one that's going to you know, be the foundation of the of the team. But uh, Paxton. I mean, if you kept those guys, you would have been a lot closer to contending than than this. But it may may have not. You know, it wouldn't have been sustainable. The, the hope is that this is far more sustainable than than that. But uh, it is the you know the third season since you came up with that that plan.
1: Yeah, and, and really, we've talked about it before, but I, I don't know that they've ever committed to the rebuild in this way. I, I don't think Howard Lincoln ever would have ever relented to doing this the way they've done it. I mean, that, you know, there was the year after 2008 when they were the first $100 million team to lose 100 games where they told Zarenski he had to win while they slashed some payroll down. Yeah. And they did. And then they, if you think about it, they went and reinvested again. Like, they never really tore it down. Like, if they were truly yeah. going to try and rebuild, they would have traded Felix Hernandez when they could have got five prospects for him. You know, like, they never they never yeah. said that we're going to just rip it down to the studs. And, I mean, DePoe ripped it down to the bare minimum. And you could argue whether or not had he kept Paxton, had he kept Zanino, Cano, re-signed Cruz, how good they would have been because that was when the Astros were still pretty good. And Paxton, as we saw, got banged up a lot. And Zanino never really materialized in anything more than a defensive catcher. Segura, everybody would have still hated him, but he would have been on the team. I mean, I I don't know. And then, you know, who's to say Haniger gets hurt or not? But, I mean, like, I thought it was the right decision at the time. And you're right. We told everybody. This is going to – all you people that say that the rebuild now – because we, we always joked that, like – you know, tear it down had become the new fire everyone. Yeah. It used to be fire everyone. Now it's tear it down, tear it down. And what you're seeing is that, that like, tearing it down doesn't equal success. You know? Yeah. I mean, look at the, the Reds tore it down, and they have, you know, I know they made the playoffs this year, but, like, they're still already trying to sell out pieces again.
2: Yeah, so, and, um yeah, because, yeah, I mean, so many teams are employing this strategy. You know, they all can't win. They all can't oh, make the playoffs. There's no when you've got, that way. You you still you still got the powerhouses who try to win every year that you're competing against. You know, the Padres, the well, not the Padres, but the Dodgers, the the Yankees. Used to be the Red Sox and Cubs, but uh, they now they're have yeah. more tear down than, than build up. But uh, but when you throw in, I mean, look at all the teams that that went young and and rebuilt and uh, You know the Mariners are right in the middle of that mix, and now it's just a matter of who did it better, who got the better prospects, who develops them better, and that remains
1: to be seen. Yeah, the bad timing of the Mariners. You know, I I saw. You know, I I tweeted it because he said it. I tweeted the fact that he says, you know, like we're not going to make a run to the AL West title. Yeah, we think but i think you see we think we can contend for a, a playoff spot yeah, or that was an interesting phrasing
2: game. i thought yeah. you said we're not gonna make a run to the top of the al west I yeah
1: yeah i mean like and you can again you can a run to the top of the al west kind of like leaves open to interpretation you know they mean like they're just going to skyrocket out and just lead from the get-go no and Wired I, to wire, baby. yeah um but then people are complaining because he said the realistic aspect. I mean, like I, I, people are like, I can't believe you said that. I was like, well, if he came out and said that this is a world, we're going to contend for the world series. And, and this is a postseason team and we need to be there. I mean, like I, I would have looked at him like, okay, let's start drug testing for everybody. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. It's what, yeah. I mean, he, he's kind of, in a no win situation because if he comes out and panders to everyone and says, Oh no, this, you know, we're always out to compete for a world series. Well, my mom can look at the Mariners and say, this is probably not a world series team. Okay. Yeah. And so for him to come out and say, this is a realistic goal. Cause I asked him out, do I, like, I want to go all, uh, captain journalism and sit there and say, I asked, but you know, the first question we asked was, what were the expectations? What are your expectations? Because you've, you know, a year ago at that meeting, he said that they weren't, you know, it was only about getting experience and getting better. And after the season, they talked about contending for a postseason spot. So we just asked the expectations question. Well, I'm sure as verbose as Jerry is, he could have dodged it in some way, but he, he just came out and said it. I mean, like, that's fair. And if they exceed it, then they probably look better saying it that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's always better to lower. Lull- <laughs> <laughs> to uh, lower expectations, particularly in a year where you're not selling season tickets. (laughs) Who knows when there's going to be fans in the stands. Do do you expect, just as a quick aside, do you expect there to be fans in the stands on opening day? No.
1: No, I don't. I don't see how there's any way, especially because it's in King County, where King County is one of the worst rates of infections. I mean, I it's. I know. I, I booked my flight down to the spring training. But it's fifty-fifty on whether it starts on time. I mean, they're saying yeah. all the right things. I think they have to do it because of, based on the CBA. But you know, yeah, whether it stays on time, who knows? Well,
2: I asked him about what he <laughs> what,
1: <laughs> what he expects for all the right, season. Were you listening to some Kid cuddy too? But when, you're, when you came rolling in, uh, no, go ahead now. No
2: comments. No. Comment, no uh, comment. Uh, I don't even know who Kid Cudi is, so I, I guess I don't. I guess I wasn't listening to him. But um, uh, I asked him about what he expected from this season, as far as number of games, whether it was going to be expanded playoffs, and and whether it was going to be uh, you know the tie breaking rule of the pinch runner on second base and seven inning double headers. And he said basically that he expects it to be like it was in 2019, uh, same rules and you know normal. Normal games, normal extra innings, uh, normal playoffs—not expanded like they were last year. But uh, five, five teams—you know, the three division winners and the, the two wild cards in each league—and uh, you know, spring training starting on time and all that. But you're right. I mean, that's what you—that's what they're hoping for. But whether I mean, you know, I think the fact that there's this vaccine is going to help. I think by maybe by summertime they'll feel confident enough to open it up for fans, but the rollout of the vaccine is going so slowly that I don't, you know, it's not gonna be as soon as they were hoping for. So um, you know, as an industry, they need to get fans in the in the stands for a lot of reasons, you know, not just the revenue, but just to get the the excitement of the game back. It's kind of a you know, just watch, watching it, uh, even on TV, watching a game in an empty stadium is just not the same experience. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to dent into their popularity uh, as time goes on, if there's another season where nobody goes to the ballpark. Followed by a work stoppage. Followed by a work stoppage. Yeah, these are these are troubled times for, for baseball. I liked the fact that Theo Epstein went to work for the commissioner's office because... I think he's got a lot of good ideas. I think he understands fundamentally that it's kind of ironic, you know, he's a leading practitioner of analytics and sabermetrics and and all that, Moneyball. And yet he recognizes that many of the the principles that help teams win also make the game uh, more unpopular and more unwatchable. And so I think they may, you know, I think he understands that they need to maybe legislate against some of the things that are slowing down, you know, the shifts, the, all the things that are making it hard to put the ball into play and get action on the base paths. He's spoken out about that, that they need to change that. They need to make the game, put the action back into the game. And sometimes that goes against the grain of, of analytics.
1: I think it's, Unbelievably douchey by MLB on a lot of levels to do a lot of these rule <coughs> manipulations and s- saving some of them for the CBA or the pettiness. I think I think the universal DH should have been there this year, but I think because the players have come out and said we're we want 162 and we want regular everything else at the commissioner's office, is like okay, then you're not getting universal DH. You're not going to get an extra guy on the roster. You know, because they talked about having at least one more guy on the roster. You know, yeah. I do think – I think they'll go to the expanded playoffs because there's going to be enough time where they won't have fans that they want that extra revenue. They want yeah, those extra sure. TV dollars. I mean, I just don't – you know, TBS gave extra money last year to do it. And, you know, while the ratings weren't great, I still think that you, if you get that, they'll do it. Um, but, yeah, it seems like a lot of the stuff, too, is just being held for – the, the CBA and I mean like this could be the last I mean like, this is a season you know and it's not going to be great because I don't think there's going to be fans right away and there might be fans in some stadiums but I just don't I think why why use betterment of the game as a bargaining chip like so much of, of some of this stuff in the offseason like teams just want to know if there's going to be a universal DH of these NL teams like I think if there's a DH if they knew there's an DH the Braves have already signed Marcelo Zuna you know, he fit perfectly there. But then, like, what? Why? Yeah,
2: I, how I can you How can you build a team when you don't even know what the <laughs> the the rules are going to be for, for the National League teams? I mean, that's pretty significant.
1: I mean, like, the court awareness to to use a phrase of another sport, the court awareness of a lot of the main people involved is just mind-numbingly like frustrating, yeah. like you want to go Bobby Knight and start throwing chairs because it's so stupid. Like, you know, it's just like,
2: but it's the, Yeah. Well, it's a, it, it's a power struggle. It's a, yeah, I mean, and, it's a I mean, power like, struggle for the, it,
1: yeah. So go ahead, no, yeah, I just think that maybe there should be, can I be the president of perception of MLB perception? Cause like they, a lot of these guys don't get it. You know, it was like, yeah. it took forever for the players to understand that the owners during that, that, the shutdown. We're playing them and getting them to react to all this stuff by floating all these absurd, sto- absurd things. To you know, I just
2: yeah. I don't think they fully grasp how precarious their hold is on the public, mm-hmm. and that and how turned off people are to stuff like what happened last year and the damaging effect it has long term. All they think about is the power struggle going into the negotiations for the next uh, contract. That are going to heat up as next year goes on, and uh, you know, if it's a bitter negotiation resulting in a work stoppage, I mean, that's that would be terribly damaging for a sport that's already, I mean, uh, you know, just just who, you you know, you watch Sports Center these days. It's
1: third on the hierarchy.
2: Yeah, it's you know, I watch Sports Center every morning when i'm working out and they never talk about baseball yeah. i mean they, you know they talked about baseball today because uh the, the jared porter got fired but that's it takes something like that to, to even break into the basketball and football talk uh baseball they, they 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 have some exciting young players but they don't market them well the best player is not marketable and mike trout you know, he's not charismatic, which is fine. I mean, he is who he is. But, you know, when you've got guys like LeBron and, and, uh, and a bunch of exciting, you know, uh, uh, football players, you've got... Uh, um, Don't say Russell. No, I wasn't going to say Russell. Uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is who I was trying to think yeah. of. Guys like that, you know, in baseball, they need somebody. They need a Ken Griffey Jr. to emerge. Someone who takes over the sports world. Transcends baseball, um, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and until be- then, like, rely on some common sense. I mean, know yeah. the know the environment that you're in right now. Like, I mean, like, are they not watching the news to see like the economic troubles and the number of people unemployment? Like, you know, yeah. these are the same people that were still willing to spend for twelve dollar beers and fifty dollar tickets before this all got shut down. And then you're just kind of spitting in the face of all yeah. of them. I mean, yeah. and I, I and I want players to make a fair wage, and I know how much owners make. It's just, but everybody involved needs to take a step back and realize that a CBA. And and granted, you don't be you don't ascend to the the level that th- these these lawyers do by just looking at a, a collective bargaining agreement as something to get done in the fairness of both sides. You want to win, but you know what? If it comes down to trying to win this thing too much, everybody's yeah. going to lose.
2: Yeah, it's be bad. it always is, yeah. And, you know, I've loved baseball my whole life. It's been a central part of my life. I'm not coming at this as, you know, an old curmudgeon who wishes the game was better, you know, the game was better in my day, but uh, I'd, love to see, I'd love to see baseball resume its place in the, high, in the pecking order.
1: And I mean, the, like right now you'd list the NFL and college football as one, two with the NBA three, wouldn't you? Probably. Yeah. And then baseball, yeah.
2: baseball. I mean, the, what people always say is baseball is a great regional sport, yeah. you know, in your, you know, it's very popular in its town, but not as a nationwide, you know, uh, sport that every, you know, if you're in Atlanta, you love the Braves, but you're not watching necessarily baseball if it doesn't yeah. involve the Braves. Whereas you're watching an NFL game, no matter where it is, or an NBA game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you're right, and, and regionally, um, you know, it's it's a summertime deal. It's tradition. You have the game on in the background and all that kind of stuff. But, man, that's just, you know, the more you think about it and where they're at now and some of the posturing you've already seen in, in going into this season, it's just like, it's not setting up well. I mean, we we think we've already known about that, but I think it's not really setting up
2: well. Yeah. And I think that the battles last year over the restart was sort of a precursor and a sneak preview of what's to come because that should have been something that was done without, uh, rancor. I mean, uh, baseball was poised to, to be member, you know, they were going to be the first sport back when everyone was going to be hungry and uh, just jump on baseball as the, the savior of the pandemic, uh, you know, uh, Give us a diversion and all that and what do they do they sit and yell at each other for weeks and nearly don't even restart and exchange accusations and 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 there's a bad vibe and uh, i think it kind of hung over the season last year
1: uh yeah we pretty much covered all the stuff from i mean the said a lot but you'll hear the audio so i mean there isn't much to interpret a lot of it was updates and I just, you know, the, the philosophical aspect of it is what we really want to discuss. George Springer, there's breaking news. Your son, I, I saw it on Twitter, but your son uh, texted me to make sure that, that I knew that uh, George Springer <laughs> has officially signed a six-year, $150 million deal with the Blue Jays.
2: Oh, he, he texted me, too, but I didn't realize it.
1: Yeah, well, wait, 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 that's for your son's son's call. Wow. <laughs> well, I was
2: doing that. You know, Stores? I was concentrating on us. And he yeah. Quinta, says Quintana signed somewhere, too. Do you know Oh, where really? I didn't it? see that. Oh. Breaking news! This just in. Let me see where, oh. Quintana, where Quintana went. Uh, Angels. Oh, they got their oh. pitcher. So much for the uh, division.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He, He's just an okay pitcher now. Yeah. I mean, I thought he'd have been a nice fit for the Mariners, but um, although he's lefty and they have about nine million lefties, yeah,
2: the Angels signed one other free agent. This year, or uh, um, the Angels? Did they do something else? Yeah, but it wasn't a major deal. Was it a catcher? Seems to me they did something else.
1: Didn't, didn't they sign a catcher? Uh,
2: yeah. 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 Oh, Kurt yes. Suzuki, wasn't it? Who was it? Kurt Suzuki? That's right, Kurt Suzuki, yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. A minor minor sign in a lot of ways. Um, well, I guess Springer did get his money. Six years, $150 million. I mean, that's not a bad... Yeah. The, he can hit a lot of bombs in toronto too
2: well the toronto the toronto's been aggressive i think they went after lindor and uh i think they want to make a splash there at that that point you know so
1: uh, oh, they're gonna be playing in scenic buffalo so you, you really want to make it. <laughs> yeah are well, you my, going
2: back to buffalo i
1: don't <laughs> know but, you know they 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 do have uh, you know they have Cavan Biggio and, and bichette and a trimmed sure. down Vlad Jr. and and you know they've got some pieces in there. Ryu that you know they, they were decent last year, so yeah,
2: yeah, no they. I mean I like their future. They those I guys. Be su-
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they signed Taiwan again too. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either.
2: And I mean, I yeah, I don't know if you've seen the clips of uh, of slender Vlad, mm-hmm. but I mean he was fat last year. Let's oh. let's not fool ourselves. He was way, uh, you know, he came in. He's the most hyped product, uh, prospect of the last 10 years, probably, since Strasbourg, And it, it's been a letdown. But if he gets in shape and he's still only 22 years old, I mean, he could be a super a superstar.
1: Yeah, if they're calling you Kung Fu Panda Jr. instead of lad Jr., then you're a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. But now he looks, you know, he's the first guy who's in the best shape of his life going into spring training. So, uh So when are you leaving for spring training? I mean, it's, what, three weeks?
1: February 15th.
2: That's less than a month. That's exciting. I think, think I I don't know if I'm going to go this year. I've I've gone gone to Arizona to cover spring training every year since 1986. That's 34 years and 35 different spring trainings in a row. So I don't know if that streak's going to end this year with the pandemic and the like, but we'll
1: see. I'll tell you what I'll do. You usually arrive about like the fourth day of spring training, fourth day of pitchers and catchers workouts. I'll go there. I'll go to the store. I'll buy a dozen bananas. I'll eat two of them. And then I'll leave the rest for the rest of spring training. Yeah,
2: you, I want the ceremonial riding banana on. My I will. Day.
1: No, I will do that. You don't think I won't. I, actually I'll probably what I'll do is buy like three bananas. I'll eat one because I don't really like bananas. Put the other two down and let them rot out for the rest but, of the yeah,
2: day. I, I think people expect that now. The other two things you gotta do are you gotta go to Pete's Fish and Chips and get me one of their sauces and bring it home. Okay. And then you got to get some. Uh, you got to go to uh, the Roadhouse, the Texas Roadhouse, and get the the rolls and the butter, and and smuggle those home for me.
1: I think you can just drive to the Tri Cities and get that yourself.
2: All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, my daughter lives in the Tri Cities.
1: Well, area, so. I, yeah, it's it'll be weird, and I, I'll get you the Pete sauce because you know I found out now if you pay ten cents, you can buy extra hot mustard sauce from McDonald's. So I'm gonna go in there with like a hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. and do as me. Um, yeah, I'm a hot
2: mustard guy myself. When it comes to McNuggets, I I like to put the ketchup in the hot mustard and stir it around and then dip the nugget in
1: there. You're just this, is, this is
2: riveting podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, any, you know, any other thoughts? I mean, like, you know, passing of Don Sutton. I, well, I don't want to talk about Jared Porter. He's obviously a despicable human being. I mean, does any of that surprise you, though, knowing kind of – and I think it's no. gotten better. But, Larry, you've been around the clubhouse as a baseball a long time. It is a disgusting place at times.
2: It is. And, I mean, it's just sad that that exists and that women have to deal with that on top of it's a stressful job in a lot of ways. And, you know, as guys, that's an element we don't even have to deal with. And I don't think we, you know, uh, are empathetic enough at times to realize what women reporters are going through. And, you know, just reading some of the stories today from various women reporters it just reinforces the fact that this is universal they deal with harassment and issues like this all the time where they have to sort of weigh what to do about it who to tell and you know i think hopefully that's slowly changing and something like this kind of is a you know bright neon sign saying that this this is out there and it's got to change
1: Samuel-
2: and don't sudden Oh, no, I was going to say, maybe to say,
1: Sandy Alderson will go after Jerry DePoto to be the general manager of the team of his youth.
2: You never know. You never know.
1: I know. know. I'd, a I'd relationship be for Francisco, Francisco Lindor.
2: Yeah, and Noah Syndergaard and Jake, Jacob deGrom. And, uh, oh, yeah, Don Sutton was a guy that, you know, I grew up in L.A. and when Sutton, in his heyday, so he's a guy that, you know, I really watched a lot growing up as a kid and then covered him a little bit when I started out. He was still, you know, he pitched until into his forties. When I was started covering major league baseball in San Francisco in the mid eighties, I got a Don Sutton story. Um, I was covering a game at candlestick and it had to have been 1988 because that was the year that Sutton came back with to the Dodgers. He had left and gone to the Milwaukee and the angels and a couple other teams And then he came back to the Dodgers and I went into the visiting clubhouse at Candlestick to talk to to Don Sutton. And I was standing by his locker waiting for him. And all of a sudden this baseball goes zooming. I was like right between my legs and misses me by like inches. And Don Sutton walks up and he's laughing hysterically and everyone in the clubhouse is laughing too. He was like... He just scared the crap out of me by throwing this ball right between my legs, a hard ball, you know, and it rattled off the, the locker. And uh, And then he said, he put his arm around me and said, just messing with you. What do you need? And then he gave me a great interview.
1: Yeah,
2: you could have been Mitch Haniger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, thankfully, he was a control pitcher, so he knew what he was doing. But.
1: Is that hair naturally curly or was that a perm?
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I think it was a perm, but he still wears it that way. I saw a picture of him from, like, this year. He still had that perm, except it's completely white now.
1: A wary curl instead of a jerry curl. White guy jerry curl, that's what my buddies called it. I mean, he, I just remember him on the Braves broadcast for a long time, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was... You know, obviously, it's a little bit my time otherwise, but I remember on the Braves broadcast. Do you remember but when the, the mayor's...
2: So others, no, go ahead. Do you remember when the mayor's had... They went through the entire season, and they had only five starters. Yeah. And they were the first team to do that since the 66 Dodgers, and Sutton was on that staff. So I called up Sutton, and I did a story on the the Mariners having the same five starters all year. And I remember having a great interview with Sutton. He loved talking about that. But It was Koufax, uh, Claude Osteen, Joe Moeller, Don Sutton, and I can't remember who the fifth was. But um, I think maybe Drysdale, yeah, Drysdale. Yeah,
1: kind
4: of um, left out
1: a big guy there. I mean, yeah, that three Hall that, of Famers. That, you remember Claude Osteen or whatever, but you forget. <laughs> is he you forget? You, you forget the guy that's the same name yeah. as the TV preacher, but you don't remember Don Drysdale. <laughs>
2: oh. Yeah, three Hall of Famers out of a out of a four man rotation. I mean, Osteen was a four starter. Joe Moeller just had a couple of spot starts. Um, Anyway, that's that story. What were you going to say? About, oh, no, I uh, just –
1: was there another dude that passed away recently or another baseball player? Yeah,
2: Tommy Lasorda.
1: Oh, yeah, Tommy Lasorda, was, yeah.
2: Another great Dodger that that uh, was a prominent person in my childhood. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad, a sad week for the Dodgers.
1: Yeah. yeah There's
2: I'd, been – I think nine Hall of Famers have died since the beginning of last year. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, uh, you know the run. Al Kaline, Whitey Ford, Tom Seaver, Joe Morgan, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson. You know, it's just one after another.
1: Well, it's probably a good thing you didn't get that Spink Award yet. Then we didn't want you have to worry about yourself. You know, being a Hall of Famer.
2: <laughs> well,
1: yeah. Soon, maybe. Um,
2: man, I'm not holding my breath.
1: Do you think in the next few weeks the Mariners will make any signings? That we would deem mildly significant.
2: No, no. I think I think they'll they'll have a signing in the next two or three weeks. But I'd be surprised if it was somebody that really made us drop our jaw or anything like that. What do you think, go ahead. That doesn't mean it's not going to be somebody who turns out to be significant. But I don't think it's going to be a prominent guy. What do you think, Taiwan? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Taiwan tweet, was tweeting with Marco the other day. Did you see that?
1: Yeah, uh, Marco. <laughs> don't, don't think I'm not going to ask Marco about that on Thursday, by the way. <laughs> right,
2: yeah. I mean, he said something like, come to Seattle and we'll win the West. And what did, I think Taiwan said. Tell Jerry to call Tell me. Tell Jerry to call me. Or I think no one's called me or something like that. So that tells me that, you know, uh, it would be a long shot. I think you'd think if you were going to bring it back by – January 19th, you would have made contact.
1: Yeah. So. Well, I mean, like, cause I talked about bringing him back when they got rid of him last year that they yeah. want to bring, and you know, and, you know, and I, I've heard that they haven't, there hasn't been any conversations with Taiwan's agents. <laughs> Taiwan's agents are not the source on that because he's represented by, uh, Casey closes, um, uh, management company, Excel sports. And they don't tell anybody anything. I don't think maybe Rosenthal or Heyman, but they don't tell Ryan Divish of the Seattle times anything. And Taiwan doesn't tell me anything either, but I've been told that the Mariners have not made serious contact in a while. Yes. Yeah. I, uh,
2: so that would be surprising, but he does make a lot of sense. And I went back and looked at those quotes today, just to make sure that I remembered it. Right. And he did say, as Jerry said, when they traded him, don't be surprised if we uh, try to acquire him back. That was his words.
1: Maybe they offered a really low-ball offer to start with, though. I don't know. <laughs> <Breath>. <laughs> what, what about – I thought Bauer was going to end up with the Angels, but you know, I, I guess getting Cantana doesn't change that. But where do you think he ends up? We're, we'll go with Bauer and Real Mudo and we'll close it out.
2: I I think I predicted the Mets for uh, – the last time we did this, this was before they, yeah. they, they traded for Lindor. I still think the Mets are a possibility. Now that they've had this debacle with uh, uh, Porter, they might want to do something.
1: <laughs> to <make the> <laughs> but who's going to who's going to negotiate it for them? Then is Alderson just going to do it himself?
2: Alderson's gonna, Yeah, they, they, Alderson said today that they're not going to hire a GM till after the season. So I mean, he's a he's a proven GM. <laughs> yeah, you know, with, with a lot of different teams. So yeah, he's a he's a perfectly uh, qualified probably better than anyone they could hire. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say Mets. I'll continue to say Mets. And I'll say Phillies. I for think he's going to go back for Real Muto. I think he's going to go back to the Phillies.
1: I think Real Muto is going to end up – sorry, Kevin Chalky, But I think Real Muto is going to end up with the Nats. I still think that. I don't know why because they didn't re-sign Suzuki. They need another catcher because yeah. Jan, Jan Gomes is terrible. And so – and I think he'll do it. Maybe he'll do it. Is that Oh, my dad just walked by and shut the door? Um, power, 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 Hmm. Maybe. I, don't, I think maybe he'll go to the Angels again.
2: Yeah.
1: Who's your manager? Angels
2: oh. is uh, Joe Man.
1: Oh, oh well, maybe not then. Man, I don't know if Madden wants to deal with that.
2: <laughs> Man wants to win.
1: I yeah, think. that's true. I don't. Yeah, I don't know anybody else. I don't think he's very welcome in Houston. Yeah,
2: no, that's for sure. I mean, the Yankees, the yeah. Yankees. I mean, they did they signed Lemayhu, but you know, they 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 certainly have the
1: pocketbook to make it happen. Yeah, but him and Garrett Cole hate each other, right? They do, but uh, yeah, that's probably a fact. Right? <laughs> <laughs> i
2: think they I think they both said that they could make it work
1: maybe Jerry just gonna pull it out at the end and just like hey all right, yeah. you want it? i mean but the thing is, is he i wrote this he wants opt- outs and I don't know that jerry wants opt- outs
2: yeah
1: angels yeah angels
2: okay met
1: okay all right well we gonna wrap it up uh is, are you guys gonna get snow this weekend i gotta ask while you're on the record here gonna get snow
2: uh, that's what I heard. That's I, I heard somebody told me that uh, this weekend is supposed
1: to snow. So no I mean, snow here in Montana.
2: Mid January, like t- It's not snowing. No, nope, none. Is there snow on the ground? No, nope.
1: none. That was forty-two degrees here today.
2: Wow, about the same as what it was here. Yeah. Have you had any snow this winter?
1: Yeah, there was a four-day stretch where it snowed about eighteen inches. That was a lot of fun for me.
2: Well, we have our, you know, we had that windstorm last Tuesday night and uh, no Wednesday night. And our power was out. Uh, or was it? Tuesday night. Our power was out for 48 hours. That was a bummer. Longer than most people's, but it finally came back.
1: Yeah, that's what you get for living in nice people neighborhoods. So, all right. Thanks, man. Uh, all right. Enjoy. Like, Take care. Well, write some more about the Mariners because everybody likes that. So. All right. All right. See. You. All right. This is the audio of Jerry Depoto's media session from the first day of the virtual baseball bash. It's about 50 minutes. A variety of subjects from, you know, their plans for expectations off season, lack of moves, Mitch Haniger, the rotation, Evan White, lots of this stuff that some of you have already heard from him before, but he's asked again. So let's get to Jerry.
3: Executive Vice President and General Manager of Baseball Operations, Jerry Depoto. Uh, Jerry will make an opening statement, then he'll take some questions. And just a reminder to all the media on the call that this is going out live, so please be aware of live mics. Jerry?
4: Thanks, Tim. Uh, thank you all for, for joining. This I this is our first virtual kickoff, but in advance of a 2021 season that I think we're all looking forward to. Uh, obviously, th- this is a year for us that, that we've been anticipating for some time as our young players have now started to arrive on our major league roster, uh, they have had some opportunity, uh, guys like Kyle Lewis, Evan White, Justice Sheffield, uh, J.P. Crawford, so many others over these last, you know, two years, but particularly year and a half, have had an opportunity to to cut their teeth at the major league level. We feel like this is another opportunity for a big step forward in in, our, uh, in achieving our goals and Building a young core that has a chance to, to compete consistently for championships uh, at the big league level. And we don't, we feel like we've never been closer than, than we are today to, to that reality and, and excited for the, the start of 2021. And, you know, it's, we're about a month out and hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, with uh, the public health and, and safety in mind, we are able to get there and, and uh, watch players play. As it'll be refreshing for all of us. With that, I'll take any questions you might have, and, and uh, we'll go from there.
3: A question from Ryan Divish.
4: Hey, Jerry, you just said you've never
1: been closer. What are your expectations going into the season? I know last year was about getting experience for these players. You still have some guys you need to get experience, but what are realistic expectations for this team uh, going forward? I know you and Scott were very bullish at the end of the season, but where are you at with that?
4: Uh, right where we were at the end of the season you know we feel like the the next steps for this team are to continue to integrate the young players to this roster we feel like there are another uh, handful who are not far off uh, we'll, we'll see once we get down to Peoria and and as we progress into the season but a handful of of our more polished or advanced prospects that will have an opportunity in 21 and first and foremost it's the gain that experience to to continue to grow the base you know, with the guys that I mentioned earlier, you know, Chef and Kyle and Evan and the like. And then introduce the, the next group uh, with the idea that if things break well for us and we get into midsummer and, and we stay close to this thing and and we do have an opportunity to sneak up on the back of the the playoff field, that's that's a possibility for us and would be a goal. You know, it's young teams tend to to gel quicker than you you might think we can't go in expecting that we're going to to run to the top of the american league west but i think we can we can set the goal of competing for a a playoff spot and we'll see how it goes and and if we take a step toward that in 2021 i think that would be a great achievement for for our organization
3: a question from Corey
4: brock
2: Jerry, uh, you talked
3: at the end of the year about upgrading the bullpen.
2: You've gone to appears great lengths to add some arms at the back end there, especially a lot of arms that could miss bats. Are you, uh, you sort of speaking in generalities about
4: how much more uh, comfortable or uh, excited you are about this group uh, moving forward into this season? But, uh, on paper and and even emotionally, it's just it's a better group. There's there's more major league experience, there's more major league performance history uh, with this group than there was a year ago. So naturally, the expectation is that we're in better shape than we were to start the 2020 season. And, you know, that we had set a pretty low bar, you know, our bullpen has really been an area of struggle over these past two years. And while we've been able to get a good look at some of our younger guys and give them opportunity, some have taken the opportunity and run with it. I guess most notably, an Anthony Misiewicz uh, st- stands out. But, you know, for for every one of those opportunities, we've we've fallen short in some other areas. So we did focus on on beefing up this play, space and, and heading into the offseason. And we feel like we've done that. You know, the, the trade that brought Rafael Montero in, bringing Kendall Graveman back uh, in free agency, going out and bringing in Keenan Middleton, the the theme with all of those players is is that we feel like either a we know a lot about them, in, in the case of a Kendall Graveman, or even in in the case of Keenan Middleton, but also the 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 idea that we are trying not only to focus on getting better in 21, but finding ways to continue to progress for 22 and beyond. And you know, to to that matter. You know, Keenan Middleton is, is now part of the, 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 the roster and comes with you know, three years of remaining control you know, through arbitration. Rafael Montero still has two years of, of club control uh, on his agreement. And we feel like we are starting to build uh, some stability into a bullpen that really hasn't been very stable over the last couple of years. And, and if we have the opportunity to add to that group, between now and the start of the season, we, we will. And I can't say that that will be a primary focus between now and February 19th, but it remains part of our focus. You know, we've, we'd like to continue to add to our club and that's one area, but we feel like we've gone a long way toward, toward making that a, a more reliable unit than maybe it has been the last two years.
3: Larry Stone has a question.
2: Hi, Jerry. I'm um, just wondering what you think of the relatively slow pace of free agency industry wide. And do you expect to continue to dip into the market beyond the bullpen uh, for other areas, starting pitching outfield or, or something else?
4: Yeah, I guess I'll answer in reverse. We are active right now and, and have been throughout the off season and trying to to get better. Uh, and that was largely a Focused on our pitching, you know, adding Chris Flexen, like I talked about, Kendall Graveman, Rafael Montero, Keenan Milton. We don't feel like we've been quiet or slow. Uh, if if that's what it it seems to to you all, uh, I apologize. It, I know it's not our normal rate of activity, but that is more where we are in our our build, truly. So you know, we, we've we've added quite a bit to to our team already. It has been a a slow to develop offseason market, particularly at the top of free agency. But that hasn't really been a a focus for us. I I think you have seen uh, over the course of, you know, particularly this last four or five weeks that the market is moving and and you're starting to see a lot of players that you recognize, recognizable names uh, coming off the board. Especially in that bullpen. And you know, those are generally areas where we've been connected. Uh, I don't think a reliever has signed yet that we didn't have some conversation with or or about, uh, either internally or with agents, etc. We have been fairly connected in trade discussions. Although trades, you know, it, it they're they ebb and flow. You could see a, a flurry and then see nothing at all. But we continue to be connected. to free agents we think can make us better. Uh and specifically, we, we would like to add uh, a little bit more depth to that bullpen if it's possible. Uh, we are open to adding another starting pitcher and, and increasing our depth in the rotation, again, if that's possible. And we would like to add a left-handed bat to our mix. And, and whether that is a, a versatile player who has multi-position ability or it, it's in the outfield or at second base, those are alternatives for us. Uh, Right now, those are the least uh, secure positions we have with a returning player or veteran. And, you know, we have the benefit of the versatility of a player like a Dylan Moore or Ty France or Sam Haggerty that allow us to to be able to address needs based on the best fit for the team and then adjust as we go. Tim Booth. Hey, Jerry. Um, Do you have a feel yet
5: for how much – from a developmental standpoint the timeline of some of your top prospects might have been stunted by not having a true minor league season this year or is that something that'll sort of play out through spring training and into the first part of the season
4: i think it'll be the latter part of that tim you know we truly don't know and 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 that makes us one of 30 teams that that truly don't understand the the effects of the the shortened season on young player development you know we, the, no minor league season was a setback. There's no question about that. So, you know, what we, and, and frankly, we weren't able to replicate that volume either at the alternate site or what we were doing down in the, the Florida player development programs uh, and the Arizona instructional league. So you know, we, we have to be aware that there could be uh, a delay in the way some of those players come through, but I don't go into it, especially with the elite level prospects thinking that that's going to be uh, a long delay. As I said, with the major league club, you know, you tend to see big jumps uh, with young players once they get comfortable at, at a level. And uh, with the, the young prospects of, of elite talent that it's the same way, you know, you could see guys like a Julio Rodriguez or a Jared Kelnick or a Logan Gilbert. They will not, uh, they will not miss it as much as some others who might have needed that step-by-step. Step. So uh, we're, we're going to be open-minded to, to using 2021 as an opportunity to, to move some of those guys a little quicker if, if that's what it uh, appears is good for their development. And if they need more time, we're going to be receptive to that as well. We're not in a rush. You know, we are here. To, we're playing the long game with our roster. We, we believe this is an opportunity to open a window and keep a window open for the foreseeable future. We've built a lot of prospect cachet. We've, we've acquired and developed a number of young players for our roster. And we still have a long way to go for that roster to be fully developed and ready to, to compete consistently at a championship level. And we can't rush those young players because we'll do more harm than good. And, and so doing so, you know, we'll, we'll take it case by case. And, and my guess is that the more advanced of those prospects will progress quicker. Uh, and the guys that were at the lower levels of the minor leagues uh, and needed more time are going to require more time. And that's just something we're going to have to adapt to. Uh, Danny O'Neill has a question. This
2: this might be tied to Tim's question, Jerry. But um, could who do you see in the next wave of prospects? You kind of mentioned that first group of Justice Sheffield and and Justin Dunn, Kyle Lewis getting here. Who who are the guys that you see in the the next wave that could be soonest to get to Seattle?
4: Uh, the, you know, the the obvious for us are Logan Gilbert, who, who I think among our group is is the closest to uh, to major league preparedness. He's uh, just where he is emotionally, what he does physically. He was, he was outstanding at the alt site during the summer last year. Uh, we do have to be conscious of where his innings are, and you know, I, I, my preference would be with all young players is just to give them the opportunity to onboard at the mm-hmm. appropriate pace. But Logan stands out, uh, as does Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, uh, potentially Taylor Trammell, uh, who we are still learning a lot about, But, you know, he's another of those that we haven't yet seen at the major league level. Uh, Those four stand out as the next, you know, uh, notable wave that's coming. And then there's another group behind them that we think is is not terribly far off. You know, but to Tim's point earlier, we do need to be aware that that the the development may take some time. But I suspect the first three of those names I mentioned and, and then Taylor, we will learn as we go. Uh, we expect that those guys will have every opportunity to make their major league debuts at some point in 21 and, and then start, you know, put them in position to get the reps just as we did with the group that came before. And uh, they're super talented players, and, and my guess is they'll hit the ground running when given the opportunity. Thank you. A
3: question from our social channel, Kelly. Yeah, Jerry. Uh, Kai from Facebook asks, which under
1: the radar prospect do you think we will know the name of this time next year?
4: Well, wow, there's a bunch. You know, we we like every other team. We love our players. It's uh, and we have we have so many fun young players in our system to like. I guess the from an under the radar perspective, the most under the radar would be Levi Stout. Jumps out at me. Uh, Levi was a third-round draft for us in 2019, and immediately had Tommy John surgery. Has now recovered, and you know, really was outstanding down in in Arizona Instructional League. Uh, jumped out, stuff was in the mid 90s with two polished breaking balls and and a good field to pitch. Uh, he really stands out as as one of those guys on a more 40-man uh, close to the major leagues type of scenario, I think Juan then is is a guy who really uh, has made a ton of progress. And Juan is one of those guys who, you know, while he was at the alt site last year, as well as Arizona Instructional League, he is just 21 years old this year. And, and you know, there's so much to, to it, development in front of him. And of all of our 40-man players, he's the guy who has – the chance to make the biggest step forward in 21 who already took perhaps the biggest step forward in 20. And, uh, but now that he's on the 40 man roster and the clock is ticking with options, you know, we, we, we would anticipate uh, a pretty quick ascent for Juan. I don't anticipate that being in 21, but I think this time next year, you will be really uh, quite surprised by the physicality of his stuff and how quickly he could come those are two that really jump out at me as guys that aren't generally discussed in the mainstream that have a chance to really make a huge difference or, or jump uh, in 21. And from a position player perspective, I'd say that guy's probably Tyler Deloach. Uh, he is he is probably one of the the, the more under the radar, quiet, really strong. Uh, uh, um, and I, I apologize, Zach, but. We had it, it, Scott and I have, have an issue with that, but you know, Deloach our second round pick from last year is, is uh, really polished, multi-skilled does everything. Well, there is no one gaudy skill other than the, the fact that he gets on base all the time. And uh, it's a, he had a wonderful Arizona Instructional league after taking part in the, 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 the all site camp. And, and he's another guy that I think could really, you know, pop on some radars. Uh,
3: Daniel Kramer.
4: Hey, Jerry.
2: Good to see you. Um, I had a couple questions about the six man rotation, you know, something you guys have made no secret that it's, you know, something that you want to deploy at least over the first chunk of the season, you know, as the roster stands currently and you kind of touched on, you know, the possible need for an additional starting pitcher, you know, but what might that look like at least early in the season as you break camp and then the second
5: one. Um, how do the workloads of a shortened season and a young staff from last year that hasn't quite built up their innings factor into your preparation for a possible six man rotation?
4: Well, the the limitations on innings in 2020 is part of what our calculus was in going with a six man rotation. And, you know, we, we, on multiple levels, the six man rotation in 2020, we thought was a better way to preserve health and, and really further development. And it's, this is a nuance that's not going to be captured in kind of a saber analysis of what we're doing uh, from a performance standpoint with a six-man rotation. But the six-man rotation allows for two bullpen days. You know, it allows for two work days in between. And and when your starting pitchers are all generally aged 24 to 26 and have less than a year's experience, those work days are really important and you know it it allows for pitch development and pitch shaping it allows for training on delivery refinement and command and it's not just about getting out every fifth day and performing uh and it's it's very much still a development program so we feel like that's a huge advantage with the six man uh with such a young staff and you know it and it is still a young staff uh, and that's an important element here so with with that and understanding that the most, the highest volume starters in 2020 were guys that threw 60 to 80 innings. And, and you know, that's, a, that's not a, a high volume of innings in the grand scheme of things. And we feel like the jump from 60 to 80 to say 140, 150 is reasonable. For the guys who might've been at the top end of that scale to get them into a 160, 170 type of range is, is reasonable going beyond that is not likely. And and we feel like this allows us to help govern that. And, you know, it's, we are gonna start the season. I think that you can press very hard on the pen, uh, if not, you know, secure, if they're healthy, Marco and Chef and Kikuchi for certain will be taking their turns. Others will be given an opportunity to compete for those spots. We did sign Chris Flexen and he will be one of our six starters. Uh, That allows for two open spots that are generally going to be competitions. Uh, And it's going to be some combination of Justin Dunn and Nick Margavichis and Logan Gilbert and perhaps others who aren't necessarily currently in the Mariners uh, system. And, And it could extend to players like an LJ Newsome or minor league free agents that'll be given further opportunity. But we feel like there's still something to go add in that space. Uh, we won't go in short. You know, we, we feel confident in the group that we have today, and we were very excited by some of the development with guys like like Mard and like L.J. Newsome and and what we saw, though it was sometimes turbulent. the 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 fact that Justin Dunn got through his first season and learned a lot. It's, we are all going to be better for the experiences that these guys had in 2020, but we won't overload them with innings. And we do want to make sure that we still have those work days in between because it is largely a young group.
3: Shannon Dreher. And Jerry, you just answered my pitching question there. So I'll take it over to the other side. When you look at your young hitters, they got 200 to 250 at bats last season. Uh, What do you hope to know about them at about 550 to 600, which will be getting you close to that trade deadline? What do you need to know that is going to help you make the next moves?
4: I think this is where you see players start to stabilize. You know, there's there's a lot of turbulence in that first three to 500 at-bats of a major league career. And then, you know, more often than not, you're going to see guys – Find their their water level during that time and and a lot of our players are getting into that space some have now graduated beyond it and there's always going to be you know a player who matures a little bit later there's always going to be the the guy who exceeds expectations a little bit sooner but this the first half of 2021 is going to be a great time for us to learn about the players who are in that the uh, that 3 to 500 zone like guys like Ty France and Evan White and Kyle Lewis and you know there's some of the young guys that haven't yet made their debuts but it, this is this is still very much uh, you know the the assess and evaluate part of the the exercise with the young players and and there's you're going to see some ebb and flow that's what it's like to be a young player making your way in baseball and and the you know the two for 20 that's going to happen to every player in the league at some point when it happens to a young player once they're able to slow that down and recognize that it's the same as any other you know mini slump they've ever been through they come out of it quicker they get back to their skill set and they do their thing, and and for whatever reason, it's usually about that two-thirds of a season uh, of Major League experience when guys really start to breathe. So, July, August of that first year, and what we're now understanding with, with the the truncated 2020 season is it's more the volume. If, if we can get these guys to, you know, that 450, 600 range, that's when you really start to see the, the player uh, settle into who they're going to be, and And we're pretty confident that we learned a lot about this group last year, and we'll learn even more in the first two or three months of this year. Uh, Ryan Divish.
1: Hey, Jerry. um, There's been a lot of discussion about how much uh, uh, a 60-game season without fans affected teams financially. Did did the COVID season and and not having fans and everything else uh, change – what you wanted to do this off season from a, uh, a acquisition standpoint, did your payroll budget change? Did any of that change uh, what you'd plan to do maybe going in this off season, whereas a full year might've been different?
4: Uh, economically, no, frankly, you know, we are, our program was set up to to develop these young players. So it's the, where there is a, I guess, a little bit of ambiguity is that if we would have had the full season in 2020 to give all of our offensive players, those four or five, 600 plate appearances, if we would have been able to achieve hundred, 150 innings for those starters or, or the type of exposure that that would be needed to evaluate those relievers, you know, that may have given us greater clarity on where our primary needs were for 22 and beyond. So, to the extent that that affects the way we go out and spend our future payroll dollars, it certainly does. Uh, we still need to find out about our young players and where we need to help. You know, we can spin around the field and from you know what we talked about earlier with multi position you know, Diverse, flexible, athletic players like Dylan Moore, or Haggerty, or France, uh, on down to young players who are still evolving as everyday players in the big leagues, like Evan and Kyle, and and the returns of Mitch Haniger and Tom Murphy, and and the evolution of J.P. Crawford at every position on the field. We feel like we have the the current and future best solution for the Mariners. Now we have to find out the how they progress and and we weren't in a position headed into 21 where we felt confident that we'd seen enough in in making that evaluation therefore we weren't going to go add to our roster beyond 21 in ways that was going to limit the the exposure for those young players so it's it's a little bit of a nuance but there's it had nothing to do for us it had nothing to do with the, the revenues or, or economic uh, issues that clubs may have experienced in 2020. It had everything to do with the model we were creating. And and 60 games just didn't give us enough time to answer a lot of the questions we needed to answer. And we don't want to go out and falsely fill spots that we probably or could perhaps have the, the, the answer already here. We just need to give them playing time.
5: Tim Booth jerry excuse me jerry you mentioned mitch there i'm wondering if you can give an update on where he's at with his recovery and what's reasonable expectations for him and then along with that um updates on shed and, and andreas munoz and his and their recoveries
4: from their injuries sure uh mitch looks great but for, for those of of you who follow mitch uh, on social media you know, the 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 posts he's made uh, he looks terrific physically uh, our assistant hitting coach Jarrett Dehart went and visited Mitch live and and spent a little bit of time with him and and came away uh, gushing. Uh, it, it, how how good he looks physically is the 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 takeaway. As all of you know, this has been a tough mm-hmm. year and a half for Mitch. You know, not playing uh, the emotion that goes with not playing, but more importantly, none of us, myself, maybe most especially really understood the, the significance of the two injuries that he was trying to recover from and rehabilitate at the same time. Uh, and, you know, what he looks like today as opposed to what he looked like this time last year is entirely different. He looks strong. He looks physical. He's going through full baseball activity uh, in, in a high speed way that he just wasn't able to do at any point over the last year and a half. So, we're really excited about seeing Mitch come in and that's, and it's the easy, the identification is when Mitch Haniger's healthy is our best player. He's Mitch. Mm-hmm. Mitch is a multi-skilled, well-rounded diverse player who, when we've seen him at the top of his game is, is really one of the more complete players in the American league. And, and uh, if we can get some version of, of that Mitch Haniger back on the field, it really changes our, our arc, you know, and, and, and we know that he's, he's going to play his 30-year-old season this year. Nobody is more attentive to the way they keep and, and take care of their body than Mitch. And, and we feel like he still has his best years as a player in front of him. And we're going to find out how close that is to reality when we get down to Peoria next month. Uh, as far as Shed goes, JD also visited with Shed. Uh, looks great. You know, swinging the bat, doing all of the, the baseball activity, uh, has recovered very quickly. And, you know, that's a, that's a positive sign. Shed will come into spring training and compete, whether for that open spot at second base with Dylan Moore uh, or the, the opportunity to get utility at bats. You know, we've given Shed some exposure moving him out to the outfield and other spots. He's an athletic player, so we think he's going to come 100% ready to play. Uh, and then Andres Munoz. Andres will not be ready for opening day. He is throwing off the mound, and, and his progression has has been steady. He will be about a year uh, in his uh, recovery from Tommy John when we are down in, in Peoria. So right about the middle of March, he gets to that 12-month mark. And if we're being conservative, it's usually a 12- to 15-month uh, recovery from Tommy John. We would rather err on the side of caution. But Andres, is, he's been throwing free and easy for quite some time. Now he feels great. And the, the PTs have been very positive about where he is in his recovery.
3: Uh, we have a question from Larry stone.
2: Yeah, Jerry, I was just wondering as the season nears, if you have a better feel for whether spring training will start on time, it'll be a normal spring training, 162 game season. do You expect expanded playoffs again, the pinch runner and extra innings, uh, seven-inning double, his second game of double-hairs, that sort of thing? Do you have a feel for how the season's going to look?
4: Uh, it, uh, I think we're going back. Well, my, my, the real answer to that question, as I understand it, we are going to play by the what we would qualify as normal rules. So at 26-man roster, we are going to play. Uh, hopefully, we're going to play a 162-game season with with what would have been a normal postseason and roster scenario with expected rules uh, like we would have played with in 2019 rather than the adjust inver- adjusted versions in, in 2020. That's the expectation. Uh, and be flexible and nimble to, to as we get closer to opening day, like was the case last year, if you know something uh, leads us in a different direction between now and the time we start to play, whether that is discussion at, at the league level uh, or beyond, we will... We'll make any adjustments we have to, but we are going into the 21 season just like we would have uh, if this were uh, 2019 with the expectation that there'll be 10 postseason teams, 162 game schedule, a full spring training, normal travel, and no restrictions outside of the obvious need to have uh, health and safety protocols in place while we deal with the ongoing pandemic.
3: Uh, Question from Corey
2: Brock. Jerry, in terms of Evan White, we saw a lot of good things with his uh, batted ball profile. Uh, Certainly the 42% strikeout rate wasn't anything that he's uh, seen at all in the past. A young guy finding his way. Uh, What are the encouraging signs that you've seen from him moving
4: forward to lead you to believe that he'll continue to develop as a hitter? I mean, you hit on some of them there, Corey. It's a uh, Evan hits the ball hard, and it's something we really stressed when he was coming from Arkansas to Seattle. Is, you know, he's an athletic player, does a lot of things well. He has generally had a strong batted ball profile that carried over to his major league exposure experience. Uh, he hit the ball hard, and, and and did so among the players in the world who hit the ball the hardest. He stood out in that regard. So. Yeah, you know, the, the issue with Evan in two thousand twenty was nothing more to me, nothing more than the anxiety go that goes with a young player starting from zero. And when he slumped early, he allowed it to start to 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 roll on him. And he caught it. He had he had a, a run from the middle of August to the middle of September where he was quite good. And we think the, the the batted ball profile, in addition to all of the trends that he's shown through his player development, Evan's not a guy that we think has a, a high strikeout probability. He is a guy who does and always has been willing to take his walk. Uh, and he swings at the right pitches, and he hits them hard. And what we saw last year, I think, helped go a long way toward uh, – reassuring us in our optimism of what his power profile might look like you know he he does have the ability to to drive the ball in the gaps and and the over the fence power exists as well so you know we think if we can get Evan back on track in terms of his his pitch selection was quite fine he just he had there were a lot of misses in there that that just haven't been part of Evan's normal uh Package or, or profile and that we we feel like is just an anomaly rather than the new norm for for Evan White
3: We have a question off our social channels Kelly
1: Jerry Anthony L from Facebook asked how difficult is it going to be to uh, scout amateur players this year for the draft?
4: Really difficult uh, and, and it, it's funny. I had a conversation about that this morning with Scott Hunter our our scouting director it's the, the challenge exists right now. Like with major league spring training starting next month, we are expecting the college seasons to start next month. Uh, the junior college seasons start now uh, they're, they're starting in January. So, you know, we are preparing to get up and moving uh, our focus in the early going is going to be on what we consider to be the, the top tier of the high school talent pool. And, and getting as much volume with those players as we can in the early days uh, of their playing schedules, because they're the players we've seen the least. Uh, part of the challenge that we have in 21 is that unlike in 20, you know, at least in 2020, we had the summer of 19 to, to fall back on and the fall uh, of the, the previous season. So that we did have some information to to bring to the table with the college players in 2020. That's not necessarily the case as we head into 21. There there were no uh, there, there was no Cape Cod League. The volume that the players saw in the summer and how frequently we were able to see them was very different than it has historically been. And and as a result, we go into this year treating those bigger conference colleges, you know, the the ACC, the SEC, the PAC, those are conferences that we are going to spend weekends just sitting on. to to make sure that that we get a high volume with a lot of those players that will really fill in the gaps in the top 10 rounds of a draft and and make sure that we get as much familiarity with players that we may have had, you know, 100, 150, 200 plate appearances with going into their normal draft season. And this year, we're probably dealing with less than 50. So, uh, again, just like with our young players, we have to be patient. Uh, We have to understand that the system's not going to be perfect and and go make the best evaluations and and selections we can. But that's how we're planning on approaching it.
3: We have a question from Lauren Smith. Hi,
0: Jerry. Uh, Now that J.P. Crawford's been here for a couple years and kind of become a a leader in your infield, what do you see as the next steps for him?
4: Uh, J.P., to me, the forward progress that J.P. made, you know, in 2020 was extraordinary. And I, and I think the best thing uh, about what happened with JP, I, I could easily point to the gold glove, you know, but that's just a, 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 a I guess, a public acknowledgement of excellence that we saw every day and not unwelcome. You know, it's great. And, and he'll be able to look at it for the rest of his career and hopefully have more but the thing that excites me most about JP is that he doesn't come out of his approach. And, and that is the sign of, of developing maturity at the major league level. You know, he he swings at the right pitches. He makes good swing decisions in the box. He is, he does have uh, an, a mature approach. And, and we think a mature approach coupled with aesthetically a good swing. He has, it, JP's always had a good swing. We think there's more offensive ceiling uh, to him. But, you know, the way he stabilized our infield defensively and really as a captain on the field, uh, and, and while he wasn't carrying gaudy offensive numbers, the consistency in his approach from beginning to end, I, I thought was a real standout. And, you know, we've always talked, you know, we with the Mariners have always talked about the, the, the reliance on process over result. JP's process in 2020 was outstanding. And, you know, the the offensive results we feel like will eventually start catching up with his process. He's still a very young guy, just like it happened with his defense. Uh, and you know, he's uh, he's minimally he's here for you know another four years, and we're excited to to have him as part of what we're doing. And as importantly, he really fits in our clubhouse. JP's got an easy way about him, a calm that he brings to his teammates, uh, and he plays the game, you know, under control with, with, with athleticism and adjustability. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with the way his season went for him last year because he developed mature programs that have the chance to give him, you know, a stable foundation to build on as he grows forward.
3: And a question from Daniel Kramer.
2: Hey, Jerry, I uh, wanted to ask you about the catching situation. Scott
3: talked about it a little bit in December, but you know, Torrens had a really nice September and Murphy obviously had a, a big 2019. How will you kind of balance those guys time as you enter
4: camp here? A shocker that Scott would talk about the catching situation in advance of of anything else, but there's just like that, you know, Murph, Murph is night, 2019. You couldn't be too much better than Murph was for us. And in the opportunities he had, he can catch, he controls the run game. He's got power. Uh, And it's off the charts. Makeup Murph is very much a key to our game day preparation. uh, The way we manage and, and communicate with our pitchers. And like you said, there's a reason why we went out and acquired Luis Terrence. And, and we feel like the, if there is a player, and this might have gone to Kelly's question earlier about surprising names, it might be throwing a guy out there who has a year and a half of Major League service uh, as, a, as an under-the-radar guy the way we evaluate Luis Torrens is probably very different than the way the public may perceive Luis Torrens. We feel like he has every chance of being an above average offensive player at his position. You haven't seen the best of what he does defensively yet. Uh, His pitch framing skills have been well regarded through the minor leagues as we see through our statistical lens or, or analytical lens. And, You know, our goal would be going into the season for the two of them to share the position, you know, some type of 50-50, 55-45 split, uh, giving both opportunity to play regularly. Uh, And there will come a time in the season. And, and, you know, I would imagine in 21, not too many teams go through uh, with two catchers without having some type of hiccup. It's a tough position to play. Uh, but we would anticipate you know, providing some opportunity for Cal Raleigh somewhere in the season, uh, whether that is late in the season or as a, as a call-up at the end. We do feel like Cal is, is also a, a really bright part of our future, and it's exciting to talk about a, a, a catching depth in a positive way, and, and it's something we feel like we've done uh, a decent job in building with this group. And a question from Kieran O'Dwyer.
3: Hi, Jerry. Uh, Similar, you you talked about the short season and the challenges I presented last year. Similar to your thoughts on Evan and JP, what were some of the other key encouraging signs and takeaways that came to light from last year that gives you promise heading into the 2021 season and as it relates to the club's plan for 2021 and beyond?
4: You know, for me the far and away the the most positive development that we had was that we had a young group of energetic players come to the big leagues and create an an energy driven environment that was it was thoughtful uh, the group is prepared they made adjustments as we go uh, we believed that in planning for 2020 when we started this this Version uh, of where we are as an organization following the 2018 season, uh, the and, and I will defer to whatever Ryan would like to call it today. But the you know we we will when we started building this roster, you know the the idea was to trend toward 2021, believing that we could compete uh, for an AL West championship. And you know along the way we had a pandemic and we had to to at least assess where we were. But you know the reality is that we saw a young group struggle for the first four weeks, five weeks of the 2020 season, and then find their groove. And, and you know during the, the second half of even the shortened season, I think over the last 30, 35 games, we had one of the best records in the American mm-hmm. League and, and the best record in the American League West. Uh, better than the Astros, better than the A's, uh, better than the Angels over the, the end of that season. While we don't necessarily believe that that portends that we are the best team in the division and ready to roll, that does show growth and maturity with a young group. That that they were able to get through a collective struggle and find ways to go out and and compete and and, and win games. Uh, that was a positive development. Uh, the way we handled a really difficult year, whether it was the the health and and I guess the protocol driven environment we were working in, our players were unbelievably responsible and, you know, they went through what I think has to be the most difficult season that a major league player has ever had to prepare to, to deal with. They went through it and they, they did it with no previous experience, not just in how to behave as big leaguers and how to carry themselves in in that light, but to how to deal with, with this type of, of, world environment and, and health environment that we're working in, I thought that was remarkable. And then coupled with it that we had, you know, a, a club that was very well re- represented represented uh, with African-American players. I think the, you know, by far the, the highest percentage of African-American players on rosters in, in major league baseball. And in a time of, of social or civic unrest, I could not have been prouder of, of the way our young players responded and our leaders led. And that was, uh, those were the things that stood out to me most, was, was how we handled ourselves in real life situations, how we grew in the face of adversity on all levels and the energy with which we did it. Because I think it has a chance to make this a special group when you couple it with what we think is an extremely talented group of young players. And I, I, I don't even know if that's debatable. They are extremely talented. It's just a matter of how quickly we grow and refine those talents. Thank you. A uh, question from Keizo Kanishi.
3: Yes. Uh, hi, Jerry. Uh, can you describe about uh, hiring uh, Kuma as a special assistant coach? And also, uh, how much do you expect his effect for those young stars, you know, lining up?
4: Yeah, you know Kuma it's funny we in back in 2016, 2017, my first two years here with the Mariners, we, we I was fortunate enough to to work with Kuma. We had him uh, 2016 as as perhaps our steadiest, not even perhaps, he was our steadiest starter and and carried the water for a rotation that was often beat up and and never really seemed to be fully healthy. Uh, and and he did it at sometimes having to hold himself together from a, from a health perspective. And uh, I think one of the best quiet competitors that I've ever been around, always prepared, incredibly respectful teammate and, and uh, friend uh, to, the, to the others in the clubhouse. There's, he has a professionalism about him that, that jumps off the page. And in 2017, when, when we let Kuma know that we wouldn't be bringing him back as a player, I said to him, on the day when you decide that you wanna start your next career, you know, whatever that is, if you wanna work in front offices, if you wanna work in scouting, if you wanna work in, in connecting with players and in coaching, just call me. Uh, and lo and behold, the, this offseason he called me and uh, he said, I'm ready for that. So you know, I, I got a text from him. I wanna say it was early October. Uh, I got a text from Kuma telling me that, that he was interested in starting the next stage in his career. And, and for those of you who know, Hisashi he is, he is unbelievably respectful of of every step didn't want to move too fast didn't want to bite off more than he could chew uh but did want to to step in and and start to learn and and we think he can make an immediate difference with such a young rotation we think he can make a, an immediate difference in helping uh, Helping us communicate in a different way with Yusei, uh, and and helping him grow. I know the two of them have some relationship, uh, and I know that that even as it pertains to developing our young starters, the the George Kirby's and Emerson Hancock's and Logan Gilberts and Brandon Williamson's at the minor league level, they will learn a lot from Hisashi. There is no language barrier when when it's the professionalism that that he carries. It, it jumps off the page. So uh thrilled to have him as part of what we're doing we will integrate him slowly so that he's not you know being pushed too fast or being overwhelmed but feel like he has a chance to really make a difference uh because of who he is he, he's the type of person that we want to to connect with our young players and and help drive our future programming
3: thank you all right i think we have time for two more questions we'll start with tim booth
5: Jerry, you guys were pretty successful last season about not having COVID sort of enter your your clubhouse. Have you had any issues with players coming down with the virus during the off season? And how do you expect the protocols to be similar or different than what you experienced uh, last summer as you go into spring training?
4: Uh, to answer the first part, yes, uh, we, we, we have. And I'm sure that makes us just like every other club. Uh, it's I mean, it is a, a, a raging pandemic. So we, we've, we've had it hit our doorstep and, and, uh, and probably continues to through our major and minor league clubs and, and staff. Uh, but how we anticipate that playing out in 21, we know that there will be you know, health and safety protocols in place. We believe that we learned a lot uh, in 2020 as a league on, on how best to manage it we've also been able to to observe the other major sports leagues and how they've handled it. And, you know, when we started this, we, we were kind of first to flight and, and, you know, it was a, it was a challenge, you know, with, with us, with the NBA having to figure out how to manage this type of, of health issue while the games go on. And, and I think MLB the players association did a phenomenal job of, of, finding a resolution in 2020 and a lot of the protocols that we put into place will be replicated and I'm sure that we're going to get guidance from you know health and safety uh, authorities that are going to point us in the right direction what that looks like I don't know but we are prepared for what protocols look like today for the start of spring training we have them in hand we are we are versed and ready to go it looks a lot like it looked Uh, for us at the at the start of summer camp last year with you know a little bit more uh, or I guess a little bit less of a bubble format type feeling to it but there's still going to be a lot of restrictions and and that's justifiable based on where we are in terms of public health and safety
3: and our final question today from Chris Talbot Thank you. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, two questions, curious about
0: vaccines, uh, just following up on Tim's question. And then could you talk about your relationship with uh, Scott, um, how you guys have evolved over the years? Are you in lockstep with all of these decisions? And I would think that it would be extremely stressful for our manager to churn so many players through over a two or three year period. So I wonder if you could talk about how he handles that as well.
4: Sure. Uh, And I think the, the, First, I'll go back. Chris, can you repeat the front end of that question one more time?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I just you didn't mention vaccines and all the COVID questions. I'm just curious about how the team's handling that.
4: Yeah, well, the team we really don't handle vaccines. You know, we we are we'll wait for our turn in line, and that's going to be a state by state decision. And we'll wait for Washington State and or Arizona state authorities to you know, to tell us when it's our turn. It's I think that's the appropriate way to. To respond and we're not expecting as a sports league or even as the Mariners to, to jump the line. There's uh it's that's that that's not how this will work. So you know we don't anticipate nor are we expecting uh any widespread access to, to vaccines before the start of spring training or really uh anytime soon. So we'll wait until we're informed uh at a higher level and, and go that route as far as my relationship with Scott, I think I have a great relationship with Scott. You know, I, I believe in him. I believe in the direction that he takes the team. Are we in lockstep and agree with everything? No, <laughs> which I think makes us normal. You know, there's a, you know, he will disagree with something that, that I have in mind and vice versa. And, and that type of push and pull in any type of relationship, be it personal or professional is, is required. You have to have that to be successful and, you know but we are in lockstep on what we believe in in terms of building culture building clubhouse environments you know and 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 from a baseball perspective what we think you know what we think works in terms of how you score runs and and the best way to achieve you know getting 27 outs a night it's a, you know to to that end you know we agree uh, uh, we agree on most baseball matters you know, they're going to be personnel issues, lineup constructions, things where I defer to him and they're going to be player acquisition or roster building, uh, I guess, decisions where he's going to defer to me and that's healthy. And there going to be, so there's going to be some white space in between where we just disagree and, and that's okay because you know, if you don't have that, you'd really don't have a relationship if you, can't, if you can't have that type of back and forth.
1: Okay, that will do it for this week's Dreams podcast. Big thanks to Larry Stone for coming on uh, after writing all day and, and doing that. I thought it was a pretty good conversation between Larry and I, you know. Um, I don't know if I it sense frustration in my voice with the team, but more just kind of the, the thinking and also, you know for me having to deal with fans. and you know, in a way, I'd like for fans to be happy and, and so I don't have to deal with it um, or with their anger. Uh, because I think it's misplaced but it's you know I'm the outlet that they can go to so uh, but it was it's fun talking about it and it'll be interesting to see how these next few weeks play out as far as the next podcast I will probably post something later this week or first thing next week with some audio of Marco Gonzalez Kyle Seeger JP Crawford the main people who are gonna talk on Thursday. I don't know if I'll bring in. Um, Larry, I may bring in Tim Booth or somebody to talk about us. I get a different voice in there. So uh, until then, we'll talk to you soon.
0: This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.